Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We are at the second to the last week of our series called Holy Grit. We're talking about the earthly endurance with a heavenly hope, and we've been walking through that the last few weeks. And next week, as we wrap it up, uh, I want us to look at sort of a piggyback from today. I want us to look at what are some of the theological foundational truths that we need to have a firm grasp of as we move forward and as we endure, uh, not only uh, in this nation or in this season, but uh, wherever we find ourselves, what are, those, what are those key theological truths that tend to be under attack so much that we need to cling to it? So I hope you'll make plans to join us next Sunday. But today I want us to talk about what's the attitude we need to have. Next week is sort of the Nuts and bolts. This week, uh, we're talking more about the mindset, the heart set, the attitude as we approach that type of endurance. And we're going to be in 1 Peter, and starting in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you this morning and we come before your word, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. We pray you might encourage us from your word. We pray that you might challenge us from your word, that you might strengthen us by your word, and that we might be transformed more into the likeness of Christ because of this time that we're spending with you this morning in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We find that when Peter writes this, Peter writes that it is the end of all things. He says that back in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. And he's talking about the completion of all things, the, the movement of all of time toward the culmination, and that is the return of Jesus. Now, I've heard people over the years say, Peter got it wrong. Peter thought he was living in the last days, and he wasn't. Peter died without seeing the second return of Jesus, so Peter wasn't living in the last days. Can I just tell you, we've been living in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven. We are in the last days. And I've talked to students over the years, and I remember one student of mine in a Bible class one time, she said, but I don't want Jesus to come back yet. She said, I have things I need to do. I said, what do you have to do? She said, I want to get married, and I want to have kids, 
and I want to have grandkids. I want to know what that's like. He can't come back until that gets finished. I've got my plans, you see. And I said, well, have you ever considered that when Jesus returns, what is waiting for you as a believer will blow any earthly goal or anything like that out of the water? She thought for a minute and she said, well, at least I would like the opportunity to be able to compare. <laughs> so she, she does have, she's married and she has children now. She doesn't have grandchildren yet. But uh, if she had grandchildren already, I would be ancient. But anyway, um, but you find that we are living in the last days. We are. So today I want us to talk about endurance and I want us to talk about it in the context of lasting in the last days. How do you, what's the attitude that we need to have? Because Peter is writing to these believers and he's giving them some pretty clear counsel about how to have the appropriate attitude whenever you are facing those struggles. Now, Peter writes, and in verse 12, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The first thing Peter says to them is expect the trial to come. There's an expectation. There's an expectation that we have of Christ. There's an expectation of Christ's return. There's an expectation of the glory that we will see. But there is also an expectation that while we are here, we should expect the trial to come. We are not exempt because we are Christians. And notice he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Now, does that mean that, that trial was actually by literal fire? Well, we don't know. But we do know that Peter was writing just before or just after the beginning of a 200-year span where Christian persecution was very, very hot. Christian persecution was very widespread, and it was very, very intense. For a 200-year span, sometimes I talk to people, and I would talk to my, one of my mentors just a few days ago, and he, he and I talked about something that we have shared before and that, that we both agreed upon. He's sort of my spiritual dad. And we've talked about many times over the years. And invariably, when we mention it, somebody gets really upset. And he mentioned to me that he had mentioned it uh, in the last, last week or so and that, that it just made some people uncomfortable. And that is this, that we believe that America is already under the judgment of God, that we've been under the judgment of God. And, and so many times, you know, here lately, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, but look, this is happening all so suddenly. No, no, it's not happening suddenly. The ideologies and everything that's taking place in America that has caused the underpinnings of America to buckle as it has, those have been growing for over the last 100 years. These ideologies are widespread. The roots have spread out. They've grown. Branches have grown. Roots have found nourishment in academia and politics and entertainment and culture at large. And now they're coming to fruition and fruit is being born. And now suddenly people in the church are going, oh, we need to do something about this. Can I just tell you, all this has been growing for over a century. And now it's not only grown to fruit, it's grown to seed. And so we should expect a trial to come. If you think that some simple act of 
well, I'm just going to ignore that. It happened so suddenly. All of this uproar in America, all these things have been happening. It just happened so suddenly. It'll pass over. It's just a fad. It happened so suddenly. It'll pass suddenly. No, this is just the fruit of something that's been growing for a very long, very long time. All sorts of turmoil, all sorts of difficulty. And you see that the attention is being swung more and more against the Christian faith. We should expect that. The Bible said that. We, should, we, like the recipients of Peter's letter, should not be acting as though this is some strange thing that's happening to us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all, that's an inclusive term, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. Will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, will, will be persecuted. And the evil people will continue to grow more and more evil. You find in John chapter 16, verse 33, the words of Jesus. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You will. You will be persecuted. You will have tribulation. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Paul is preaching with Barnabas. They take Paul in the city of Lystra. They stone him, and they leave him for dead. And then after they all leave, Paul gets back up, goes and recuperates for a little bit. And while he's recuperating, he's still preaching the gospel in some other towns. And then, after they make a lot of disciples in these other towns, he goes back to the place where he was stoned and encourages the hearts of the believers there. And you find in Acts 14, verse 22, it says that he strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You don't enter the kingdom of God without going through the trials, without going through the fire. The question is, are you expecting it? Are you prepared for it? Some of you might have seen this, but after Hurricane Michael made landfall in Florida and wiped out just broad swaths of real estate, I mean, raised it down to the foundations, there were some aerial photos that were taken. And there was this one house on the beach, nonetheless, that was just standing there. And here recently I watched an interview with the, the two owners. There were these two guys whose families went in together and they owned the house. And they were asking the guys, well, how did this happen? How did your house survive? And they said, well, we looked at what the code was and then we built it better. We just built it better. And when the engineers were there designing the house, whenever they would look at the house and and he said, I, want, I said that I wanted a, an extension out here on the side. And so the engineer said, I thought you wanted a hurricane-proof house. Well, I do. Well, you can't have that. Because if you have that, it's going to make it vulnerable. Okay, well, then I don't want it. But I would like this. Engineer said, I thought you wanted a hurricane-proof house. He said, I, I do. He said, well, then you don't want that. He said, if you go by these guidelines, you'll have a hurricane-proof house. And guess what? They have a hurricane-proof house. It was the one that was still standing. You have to build with the expectation that the trial is going to come. Well, we're we're going to have a, um, 
in, in upcoming months, couple of months from now, we're going to have a parenting conference here at the church. And uh, you'll hear more about that. I'm just sort of teasing it today. But uh, we're going to have a parenting conference. And we're going to talk about equipping your child and equipping your, not just your child, your grandchildren, and being able to teach them to face the things, the realities that they're going to face out in the world. And that's important. And I've talked to many parents over the years, and many of them say, I've just taught my child to just love Jesus, and just the answer is love Jesus, pray, and read your Bible. Can I just tell you, when, you get to, when that child gets to a philosophy class in college, and the Christian faith is being pummeled by a professor or by uh, some other students, and they say, well, you know what? I just believe we should love Jesus, read our Bible, and pray more. Is that the right answer? Well, yes. But can I tell you, they need to know why they believe what they believe. They need to understand that. They need to grasp that. And we need to expect those trials to come. That's what Peter tells these followers. Are you expecting trials to come? Whenever difficulty appears, someone the other day contacted me and they said, there is this person who was taken off of Twitter, this Christian organization, because they had tweeted something that, that, was, that was accurate, but they had tweeted it, and, and all these people got really upset with them, and they were taken off of Twitter. Can you believe that? Yeah. I can't believe that Christian voices have lasted as long as they did. And maybe that, you know, if you say, well, you're just negative. No, for goodness sake, I can't. That's, that's remarkable that we've gone this far. Do you realize that over the 200 years that America has been in existence and the religious freedoms that we have had here in this nation, they are an aberration in the landscape of history? You can't point to another nation that has had this degree of religious freedom for as long. This is not the norm at all. So we should expect the trial to come. Secondly, we exalt Jesus. Exalt Jesus in your suffering. Look at verse 13. Here's the, here's the other side of this. He says, but rejoice. Wait a minute, what? Rejoice. I don't know about you, the first thing that I do whenever I enter into a trial and I enter into a fiery time of testing, the first thing that's on my mind is not normally, I'm going to rejoice. I don't know, maybe it is for you. But he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you, also, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed at his second coming. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So if you... If you share in Christ's sufferings, you should, you should rejoice. Doesn't that seem odd? But that's a good thing because it shows that you are trusting Christ. Christ himself endured all sorts of agony and ridicule and even from his own family members. His own family members thought he was crazy. Here's the Messiah living under their roof and here they are saying he's out of his mind. We need to get him put away. He's talking weird stuff again. They didn't even recognize that he was who he says he was. And he was living there under their roof. How much more so do you expect that you're going to be insulted, misunderstood, and maligned, and all sorts of other stuff for the name of Christ? We find that the earliest Christians, 
they had three major things that they said about early Christians. One was, they said that since they partook of the Lord's Supper, and people heard them saying, this is the body of Jesus when they take the bread, this is his blood, this is the, the wine. Because they heard that, they said, these people are cannibals. That's what they said. That was one of the early reports about early Christians. They're cannibals. Secondly, they saw people saying, hello, brother, hello, sister. You know, like we do down south, right? Brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so. And they saw that some of those people were married. And they referred to themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they were married. And they said, ah, they're incestuous too. They're cannibals and they're incestuous. They denied that they were going to bow down to any God except for the one true God. And by eliminating all these other gods in the pantheon, the rulers of the day said, not only are they cannibalistic and incestuous, they're atheists because they're denying all these other gods. They say there's just one God. We're saying there's multiple gods. They're denying that Caesar is Lord. They're denying all these other gods. So the early Christians faced the insults and the ridicule of being cannibalistic, incestuous atheists. I don't know the last time that somebody at your workplace has gotten irritated and came up to you and called you any of those things, probably. Probably not. This is what the early Christians endured. Yet, they could rejoice in that because they were living for Christ. Because it wasn't based on, listen, it wasn't based on human approval. They understood that. It wasn't based on what someone else said. It wasn't based on if someone else liked it or not. That's not what it was based upon. It was based upon the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God of God. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God whenever we're doing good and we suffer for it. So many times though we don't think about it that way. We want to turn it around and we say, oh my God, why? Why would I suffer when I'm doing good? The real question is, if you're doing good and you're not suffering, what's that about? That's the real question. The real, the real, the real thing is, Lord God, thank you so much for allowing me to worship freely and, to, and to, to speak clearly and to be bold about Christ and not suffer these things. Thank you for that. And it shouldn't be a surprise when it does come. It should be a surprise when it doesn't come. And now we have these early Christians exalting Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Luke 6, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you when these things happen. That's Jesus. Blessed when they they hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name, cancel you, block you, keep you off social media, say all sorts of negative stuff about you, leave all sorts of negative stuff in your comments. Now, granted, Sometimes, we all know this, we all know the person, people, we all know those people, they post stuff on Facebook, and you're going, why did you do that? Just don't do that, right? We all, we all know that. But I'm talking about when you're just sharing, you know, there are people who share too much. We all know, don't look at them. We all know, right? 
<laughs> we all know, but there are people who share too much. But I'm talking about whenever you are sharing and you're sharing your belief, you're sharing what the Bible says, yeah, you should expect people to hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name. That should be expected. So, but we exalt Jesus in the midst of this. A great example of this, great example. If you look at the book of Acts, around Acts 5, uh, Acts chapter 5, you find that, that the apostles are in prison. And in this particular case, this isn't the singing episode, but in this, they're, they're in prison and an angel comes and releases them. And so they go out and they start preaching again. Well, then the Jewish leaders get them, they bring them before them, and they tell them, listen, you don't preach anymore about Jesus. And they're like, well, we're going to. And they're like, well, you don't. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to. And so look at what happens. Uh, this is before, actually, it's a verse or two before this. In Acts chapter 5, they beat them. They beat the apostles. I mean, whoop them, right? That's a good southern way of saying it. They beat them. And then notice what happens in Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What? These guys just beat them and they leave probably all bloody limping along holding each other up and they're like we're this is so great we got beaten up because we love jesus and because we were preaching christ what well they're rejoicing in that that not most of us would not think that we'd be like i'm gonna go home i'm gonna get some band-aids some peroxide and when I mend, oh, 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 oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and we're going to pay a little visit. That's what most of us would think. What did they do? No. We're rejoicing that we were counted worthy to suffer for the name, for the name of Christ. They rejoiced in that. How could they do that? Well, I believe the answer is found back in this passage we're looking at in 1 Peter. If you were, verse 14, if you were insulted for the name of Christ, you were blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It was not the apostles' own gumption and the apostles' own doing and the apostles' own strength that allowed them to rejoice in this. It was because they were being filled with the Spirit of God and they were dependent upon Him and being filled with the Spirit of God. By the way, all the way through the book of Acts, anytime someone is filled with the Spirit of God, I, heard, I had someone complete that one time and said, they speak in tongues. No, not every time. Every time they're filled with the Spirit of God, there is a bold public witness for Christ. That's what you find every time. So they're filled with the Spirit of God, they have a bold public witness, and then the Spirit of God enables them to rejoice that they got beaten for their bold public witness. It's like, it's like Stephen, whenever Stephen was stoned. Stephen, the first martyr. Stephen preaches being full of the Holy Spirit, and then he dies. They kill him. He's still full of the Holy Spirit. So you find that we can exalt Jesus in our sufferings. This week, when one of those moments comes, because of your faith in Christ, maybe at home, maybe at school, maybe at your workplace, what if you just took a moment before responding, you just, you just said, God, thank you 
I'm just going to rejoice that I have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Thank you, God, for allowing me that honor to suffer and share in the sufferings of Christ. That's what Peter is telling his readers to have, the attitude he's telling them to have. Thirdly, we are to embrace the purifying of the church. Oh, now we're meddling, right? Just staying true to the text. Embrace the purifying of the church. Look what he says in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Notice what Peter says. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. He's saying that's where it begins. It begins in the church house. I've heard people over the years say, God's going to judge Hollywood, and God's going to judge D.C., and God's going to judge this part of culture, and God's going to judge that part of culture. But you find what it says. Judgment begins at the house of God. That's where it starts. Now, we're not talking about eternal judgment here. We're talking about temporal judgment. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about temporal, painful judgment that takes place that purifies a group of people. That's the idea. I had somebody here recently tell me, God would never allow that to happen to the American church. Are you kidding me? Look through the Bible at how God brought temporal judgment upon his people Israel. And then tell me that God would, quote unquote, never do that to the American church. Can I wake up? He already is. If you look in church world right now, you're finding more and more people who are just abandoning the faith. And no, this is not, these are not the people that we used to talk about back in the 80s and 90s where we say, well, they'll go away from church when they're young, but when they're older, they'll come back. Well, that was part, that, not all of them did even then, but even today, now, that number is minuscule. They're not coming back. They're leaving and they're staying gone. That's what we're finding. Not only that, we're finding because of the pandemic, lots of churches have closed their doors and probably will never reopen their doors. We're also finding even the days before the pandemic, many pastors, and I can name you a list of pastors who have either left the ministry because of moral failure or just left the ministry because they said, I just can't do it anymore. And we're talking some larger names, some big names, left, walked out, done, finished. And so you look at this and you find that, that there's this purifying that's taking place. There's this culling that's taking place. And, and so we have to understand that's happening. And the judgment begins at the house of God. Because why, why is that the case? Can I tell you one reason? Because God wants to purify his witness. If, if the church is going to be a beacon of hope in a culture that is growing increasingly dark, God loves his bride so much that he will do whatever it takes to purify his bride so that she is the right kind of witness to a world that needs to see the grace and the mercy and the love that is brought through Christ that she represents to the world. He'll do that. 
He is, he, is, he is a jealous God. He is not a God who says, oh, it's okay. I'm not too worried about that. I'm not too worried about that in the life of my church. I'm not too worried about this in the life of my church. Oh, I'll just let that pass. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, the stakes are way, way too high. You find that we can rejoice in this. We rejoice in this personally when this happens to our, to our, in our lives. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He purifies his church for its witness, he also purifies the church so that she will depend upon him fully in faith. And so this is a reality. And we find that it happens. We find that it happens more and more and more. Over the years, I've had people come to me and say, I'm no longer, and not only at just this church, previous church, I can no longer be at this church if theologically this is what you believe or this is what's being taught and I'm like well this is just what the Bible says about Jesus this is what the Bible says about sin well I don't believe that okay you try to talk to him but okay but then it comes to a point that you go you got fine well I'm leaving fine that's okay go 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 God purifies his church and one of the ways he purifies his church is just whenever the truth is shared and taught and learn, and, and expressed. You find Israel, in the end times, there's this that is up ahead in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds, two-thirds of that group of people in Israel shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive, that remnant. And you say, wow, whew, man, I'm, I'm, that, that's good. I'm sure that remnant, they're like, man, we made it. Yeah, but then look at the rest. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. So he's saying out of the whole lot, two-thirds don't make it, one-third survives, and that one-third gets taken and put in the fire. What? Yes, because he's that concerned about purifying his people. That's how concerned he is. And that's why James can write over in James chapter 1, verse, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is not, this rejoicing and this embracing the purification is not just something that we work ourselves up to. Well, I'm just going to try real hard to be thankful. No, we understand there's a bigger picture going on. There's a bigger plan and purpose that is going on. And God operates by a reductionistic strategy. He's very reductionistic. He reduces things down. He pairs things down. He pairs groups of people down. He pairs down nations. Why? So that they will understand it's not because of your number. It's not because of your greatness. It's not because of your strength. It's not because of anything that you have, but it's because of me. God purifies his church. We embrace it. And then finally, the right attitude says that we entrust our souls to God. So entrust your soul to God. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 
Don't you see it's interesting that it says to a faithful creator? Entrust your souls to a faithful creator. Why do you say entrust your souls to a faithful savior? Why not entrust your souls to a, a faithful redeemer? Entrust your souls to a faithful healer. Why creator? Because the idea is this. If God made all things, and he made all things by his power, then he controls all things that he made. He controls all things because he is the maker of all things. So therefore, we can entrust our souls to our faithful creator who made me, who made you, who made those who we encounter, those who we encounter that hear willingly, those who we encounter who reject violently, those who, who are opposed, those who support everybody in every situation and everything that we're ever encountering, God's the creator. So we can entrust our souls to him because he made us and he made the world in which we live. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 12, the words of God, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies or the son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? God's saying, why are you so worried about a person? I made them. I made all people. And you mean to tell me that you're wasting all this time and you're spending your whole day worried about a person, another creature? I'm the maker of heavens and earth. I spoke everything into existence. I'm the creator. I'm the Lord God. Not only am I the creator of it, because I'm the creator of it, I own it all. It's all mine. And you mean to tell me you're going to get all in a twist over the person one cubicle over who is giving you grief? No. God is saying, this is a perspective moment. I'm your creator. I'm your maker. Entrust your soul to me. You're never going to stand before. You know that? I'm, I don't want to upset you. Think about that person for a moment. Don't say their name. Think about that person. You know that person you have? Just grates on you. Get your goat. I mean, just yanks your chain every chance they get. You know who it is. You got it. And if you go, I don't have one, then you may be that one. <laughs> somebody hopefully not hopefully not maybe you don't have one that's great can I tell you something you're never going to stand before that person in the end of all time and give an account you will stand before your God not that person when that reality hit me a number of years ago that was very freeing it was very very freeing to recognize, I'm not going to stand in front of that person. And if I'm not going to stand in that person for all, to give an account for all, everything that I've done in my life, then I need to start practicing right now for standing before God and not this person. They're just people. That's all they are. They're created beings just like we are. So we entrust our souls to a faithful creator, not just a creator, a faithful creator. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Everything that you got, all your concerns, all your worries, all your fears, all your doubts, you cast them upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. 
You throw them off. You roll them off onto God. You entrust your soul to God. And then when you do that, you don't have to fear. No, you don't have to, you don't have to walk around with your chest out and say, I don't fear anybody. I'm not afraid of anything. You know? We went up to, we, uh, some of the college students and uh, a few of us went up to Gatlinburg on a winter trip. And we're going across the sky bridge between these stretched out across the valley. Some of you have done that. Some of you looked at it and said, not going to do that. But we were walking across it and we were walking across in the dark. And I remember there was this little boy as we're walking off of it. I mean, it's hundreds of feet long and it, it sways, right? We're walking along and there was this one little boy, come, he came walking down. He couldn't have been over four or five had his hands in his pockets and he's striding down the bridge toward us and he just kept saying I ain't afraid of nothing I ain't afraid of nothing he just kept saying that we, we don't have to we don't have to maybe be quite that bold and that outspoken about it but we can in our spirit be able to say I ain't afraid of nothing why because we're entrusting our souls to a faithful creator. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes or its leaves, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Whatever is bearing fruit, whatever is coming into season in our culture, hey, guess what? We can bear fruit constantly as we are connected to God we are we can be constantly bearing the fruit that we experience because we are connected to the giver of life and connected to a life with Christ and he is living in us by his spirit so you know what we don't have to fear we can last in the last days and if you're here today or you're watching or you're listening and you have never entrusted your soul to a faithful creator by entrusting your soul to a faithful savior, that is Jesus Christ, then let me encourage you today. Today is the day of salvation, as God's word tells us. Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died a death in our place on the cross so that we might know God. We could be forgiven of our sins. And that which which separates us from God, our sin, that we can't do anything about on our own. Jesus Christ died to set us free so that we could know God and be with him and be part of the restoration of all things. When those last days end, this eternal dwelling, eternal presence of God, the eternal communion with God, uninterrupted and sinless, begins. And if you know Christ, you'll be a part of that. But as we wait, if we know Christ, we entrust him with our souls. And we go through whatever it is that we need to go through right now to be purified, to be strengthened, to have our faith strengthened, to be able to live for him and reflect him and the world to the world around us that is in desperate need of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And we're thankful for your truth. Lord God, we're thankful that you don't leave us on our own to try to figure thing out, things out. But you give us your plan, your purpose. By your spirit, by your word, you give us your understanding. And Father, I pray this morning.
if there's anybody here and they've been wrestling, they've been burdened, they've been, they've been ridiculed, they've been insulted, they've been maligned, they've been mistreated, they've, been, they've had all sorts of things heaped up against them, whether it's in their workplace, their classroom, even in their families, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would give them the strength to endure, that you would allow them to be able to exalt Christ in the midst of that, and you would just allow them the, 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 the joy that comes from being filled by your Spirit and being counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Lord, may we never take our freedoms for granted. Father, your Word tells us to expect difficulty. Father, I'm afraid that many of us have have gotten away from that. Many of us don't expect it. We expect to be treated in a certain way. We expect to be treated cordially. We expect to be thanked. We expect to be uh, endeared and be, to be endeared to others and and to be adored by others. And Father, that's just not the case. That's not the norm. So Father, I pray that you would enable us to see clearly what you've called us to and that you would empower us to live out your truth boldly and that by your spirit we would endure and that uh, that we would all be expectant and waiting enthusiastically waiting to be in your presence and we ask these things in Christ's name Amen.